You're listening to the Get Fucking Real Show. Strap in as your host, Lisa Cherney, takes you on a ride full of GFR moments. From powerful messages to exclusive interviews to untold stories of super shitty moments before big successes. And even real-life confessions. Lisa's been mentoring millionaire entrepreneurs for over 20 years, coaching top coaches and tapping her mighty woo-woo side to mentor the best of the best spiritual peeps. It's time to bring on the straight talk from successful, soulful entrepreneurs, inspiring you to live without regrets, to create your legacy, and be unapologetically you. And now, it's time to GFR. Life is too short to be a slave to your own dream Cause I'm working too hard And I want to feel so alive I jump out of bed because I love my life Living on my terms, I know that I will thrive Being myself, clarity will arrive So I'll send out and be J-U-I-C-Y Hello, hello. Welcome to the GFR show. I'm your host, Lisa Cherney. If this is your first time here, I'm thrilled that you found your way here. And maybe it's because of today's guest. Maybe it's just because that is where you were guided. Either way, it is meant for us to be in this conversation together. So here we always like to kick things off with a question that kind of helps us get into the whole vibe of the show. So here's the question. How old were you when you learned how precious life is? Oh, for me, I immediately know the answer. And it's when my mom went through her breast cancer journey when I was a junior in high school. So I guess I was like 16 and which is my daughter's age now. That's an interesting thing to notice. And she survived and went on to live 35, 40 more years later. And it inserted like, a, I always say it kind of implanted a chip in me that always reminded me life was short. And it guided a lot of my life decisions that for many were done on the young side, if you were to judge it from the outside, like after 10 years in corporate from the age of 18 to the age of 28, I left corporate and started my own business, even though I had no clue what that was going to be, but I knew I needed to leave. I also got married young at the age of 23 after we got engaged after three months and we just knew I just think I had the courage to trust that I wasn't looking for a husband at the time. It was sort of the furthest thing from my mind, but met my hubby and we are celebrating over 27 years of marriage and, and my mom did introduce me to him. So that's a whole nother Oprah. <laughs> that's a great story. Actually, I'll tell it one day. And yeah, so just guided a lot of my life decisions. And today's guest is such a wise, wise woman. Jamaican born, and you'll hear in her a little bit of her accent, which I just love. Her name is Helen Macmillan, and she's an author, she's a life coach, she's a healer, and she's all about personal growth and healing and us achieving our greatest potential. She has a new book called The Gift of Pain, and she just is like, Pain is awesome, you know, getting triggered is awesome, and it's just everything. And it's so refreshing because we do spend so much of our lives running from pain or covering pain or avoiding pain. And I definitely have been on a journey multiple times in my life with physical pain and really diving into the relationship around that. So I can't, I told her that I'm going to read her book and I don't, I don't say that lightly because I'm not like a prolific reader and I'm actually looking forward to diving into into Helen's book. What else do you need to know about her? Well, she combines her intuitive gifts and her practical expertise and wisdom gained from building three successful businesses, being married twice and raising three boys. She says all while maintaining her sanity. And she shares with us 
a very pivotal point in her life where she learned how precious life is. And I'm going to let her share that with you, but she was 19 years old and a sophomore in college. And I just found myself having so much just love and compassion for that young woman. It brought me to tears because as many of you know, I'm in the grief process from the death of my mom a few months ago. And I just am so in tuned and curious even about what grief looks like and what it looked like for that 19 year old girl. And she shares with us in depth how pivotal that was for her. Oh, and I wanted to mention that for our GFR squad members, Helen does a bonus training of her quick shift process. And she uses me as a guinea pig. So I actually share about a challenging situation that I'm dealing with. And she takes me through her amazing process. And it was so perfectly timed for me and really, really powerful. So if you're in the GFR squad, you want to jump over to our GFR squad Facebook group and catch that bonus training. And if you're not, and you're like, oh, that sounds fun, or I'm curious about that, or I want to hang out with Lisa Cherney and the GFR people, then please join the squad. It's only $20 a month and you can cancel anytime. And you get to hang out with us on our community confession call where each month we take one of the GFR commandments and we talk about it and we confess and it's a beautiful space. So without further ado, I cannot wait for you to meet Helen McMillan. Helen, welcome to the GFR show. Thank you so much. <laughs> it's great to be I here. Am, I'm so excited for this. And it's funny because we go way back. We figured out till 2010 when you saw me speak at Lisa Sasevich event, who's one of our prior guests on the show. And it was our connection and social media does sometimes come in handy because it was your comments on my posts about my grief sabbatical that I took in September that just, I, I don't know, there was something about, I don't even remember what you said exactly, but there, it was just like, oh, Helen, oh, Helen, oh, she should be on my show. And you were, and then I went to check out your posts and saw about your new book, The Gift of Pain. I was like, well, somebody who writes a book on The Gift of Pain is going to have some good stuff for the GFR show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. So, yes. <laughs> so I'm excited to dive into all that you are that we can cover, you know, in our time together yes. and your journey. And it is I think it is such a ah, well-earned phase when we can get to the place where we, you know, see the gifts of pain, you know, where we value that. And, and I think really underneath, not even so far underneath the intention of the show is to normalize pain is to say, this is part of our journey is to say, particularly for people that are in mission-driven businesses that are coaches and mentors and teachers and therapists and, you know, all of that, that that is what has us be who we are, you know, and often and even inspires us. Would you agree? Yes, absolutely. You know, it's interesting. My whole reason for writing this book is really to help people shift their perspective on pain. Because what I know is that when we, traditionally, we were taught that pain is bad, you know, and we try to avoid pain. We do a lot to avoid pain. Yes, we do. Uh, there are whole industries built on helping us avoid pain. <laughs> That's for sure. But it's, and I know that when we view something as bad or wrong, we resist it. And, you know, I'm sure you're familiar with the old Buddhist saying, what you resist persists, right? So, and, and the way we respond to it is dictated by that, our perception, our perspective on it. So, that was the whole point. It really is because sometimes just that shift and willingness to embrace pain and to not necessarily see it as bad can actually cause it to not be painful at all. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yes. When the, by the time the show airs, I will have done a free retreat that I call the marketing reset retreat. And the very first step is in claiming the what we see as failures of marketing efforts and investments and things in the past. Because I just feel like there's so much baggage that it really paralyzes people from 
putting themselves out there the way that they really want to so that they can actually really help people. So I, I wholeheartedly agree with how that manifests in creating resistance in, in our business. Yes. For me, I know this perspective has helped my entrepreneurial journey to be so much less painful than it could have been, right? Because I noticed as I, you know, see what other people do and what I do, I was a lot quicker to let what was not working go and move on. You know, if I've made a sizable investment, I remember at one point making a sizable, it was like a $6,000 investment in some copywriting and, and it just wasn't right. It wasn't right. It wasn't for my audience. Just the person just didn't get it. And I was like, okay, next, move on. Let go, not using that. Let's go find somebody else who can and move on. And, you know, certainly when I first started my journey, that would not have been the case. I would have been throwing all kinds of time and money and emotional <laughs> investment after that, right? Rather than moving on. So that's yes. actually something my mother taught me. I'm Beautiful. very grateful for yeah, she. I, it was years ago. I made an investment in a business, and it was yeah. We it worked seeing eye to eye, and and it was quickly into it that I saw that this was not going to work, and I asked for my money back, and she said no. And we hadn't even signed an agreement yet. Lesson learned, right? Paid over money before we signed an agreement, and I remember I was so angry I could not sleep properly for three months. Yes. It was keeping me up at night for three months, and my mom said to me, Helen. I was like, I'm going to hire a lawyer. I'm going to sue her and I'm going to this and that, you know, very American way. <laughs> and my mother, <laughs> she gave my me mother the Jamaican said, way. <laughs> she gave me the Jamaican way. She said, she said, the time and the emotional effort and the money that you're going to use to try and get that back, you, if you let it go and focus on what you're doing, you'll make three times that. And mm-hmm. I did. And I did. Beautiful. So it was a wonderful, wonderful piece of advice. <laughs> Now, you you mentioned like when you first started your business versus where you are now and the way that you kind of let things go that are not working quickly. Was there like a turning point or something that just like flipped a switch and you're like, that's it? Those old ways, you know, of holding on to things and not working, I'm going to be more in flow. Or was there something that you can kind of point to? You know, that particular incident with that business investment was a huge one. That was a huge one for me because I I lived through it, right? Like there's nothing worth losing three months of sleep over. Honestly, Mm. I sleep very well at night. Thankfully, it's a blessing. And so that I saw the toll that it was taking on my mental health, my physical health. And I was like, what on earth could be worth that? So that that probably right there was a, a huge turning point. I'm trying to think if there's a I'm sure there have been more, <laughs> but actually, you know what? There were different ones. There was one I'm thinking of now with a with an investment I made with a in a coaching program, actually. And I was communicative after a while because it was my husband who said, "You know, you're investing the equivalent of like a mortgage money every month. This person is working for you. You need to ask for what you need instead of complaining." Mm. And uh, because I was doing a lot of complaining (laughs) to the wrong people, (laughs) I'm sure you can't relate, right? (laughs) No, 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 never, ever. I've never done that. (laughs) And so that was another piece of great advice he he gave it. And and so I started communicating, and I really have to say, she tried so hard to bring give me what I needed, and it just it just wasn't working. I think I wasn't a good fit in the first place and maybe she shouldn't have let me into her program. So I asked, I said, please let me out. I don't, you know, I'm not going to, I can see I'm you and I both can see. And she did, she did, she did let me out of the program. And then other people wanted out as well who were struggling. And she was like, no, (laughs) because they hadn't, they hadn't been communicative. They hadn't been trying. They hadn't been. So, right. Yeah. Different to let go. Let, Let go has been, a, I've gotten that lesson in so many ways in my life to let go, to learning when to let go. You know, I love that Kenny Rogers, Kenny Loggins, Kenny Rogers, that song, you got to know when to hold them, know when to fold them, <laughs> know when to walk away, know when to run. So I think that's a part of, of, of wisdom, learning wisdom is when For to sure. let go. 
make the so changes. So you shared with me one of the very first profound experiences you had with the idea of like letting something go or like the preciousness of life and sort of like how to navigate that. Can you share with us that story? Sure, sure. That was when my sister died in a car accident. I was 19. She was 20. We were born 14 months apart. And as a matter of fact, my my mom didn't, she was a nurse. And so, you know, supposedly she's supposed to know about, you know, <laughs> getting pregnant and those things. But anyway, <laughs> I, was, I was the third child and she got pregnant with me when my sister was only five months old. Wow. And so she didn't tell anyone, she was ashamed. She didn't tell anyone she was pregnant with me till she started to show at about seven months. Oh my so goodness. It's a whole nother story, but I was born with a lot of shame. You absorb sometimes in the womb, right? So anyway, so my sister and I were very close in age. And so we were, they used to dress us alike. We, you know, same dress, different color, same hairstyle, you know, we were always together. We roomed together. We were, we were very close. She with you at college? No, she actually went to college in Jamaica. She was an artist. She was in her final year doing jewelry design at the uh, Jamaica School of Art. And I was at Howard University. And she was on the way to the beach with friends and they think maybe it was a tourist because the road that they were on is wide and wide with with then big side i can't remember what they call it side rails side beyond side no it's, there was no rails or anything like that it's but you had the paved part of the road and then you and then you had additional oh, non like a shoulder like the shoulder like shoulders part. yeah okay. very wide shoulders so there was plenty plenty space for cars to pass you know but I guess they were speeding so was the other car and it was around a corner and the car came around the corner on their side of the road so that's why oh. we think it was a tourist because they were, we drive on the left in Jamaica oh. and yeah they swerved to avoid the car and ended up in there's a light post and there's a there are these small posts that anchor the the, the wooden light posts it's a, it's attached by a wire and then to okay. a small rental I mean it's really small in diameter but they slid sideways into it and it cut the car almost into and oh. uh so she died on the spot and there were three other friends in the car with her and the one who was sitting behind her on that side he eventually died at the hospital and the other two were very badly injured so that was definitely a watershed moment uh I, in my life I cannot even imagine being, I guess, a senior or junior or senior in college? Oh, I wasn't even a senior. I was a sophomore. Oh, that's sophomore. right. Because she was a year. Yeah. She was a year or two older than you. Yeah. 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 You were and sophomore. that was a two year. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And got a call yeah. from your parents? Well, it's funny. I actually, I'm very intuitive, always have been buried it for a long time because who wants to be different as a child I used to see things and hear things and that other people didn't so I learned to suppress that but the week before four days before actually the whole week before I was depressed I was down I was at college and you know I remember calling home the Thursday and I she answered the phone and we were chit-chatting because I was feeling really down all week and for no obvious reason and my mom picked up the phone after we'd been talking for about 20 minutes, because, of course, good college student, I call home collect, of course. Right. And <laughs> my mom said, I'm paying for this call, so y'all need to hang up now. And I did something I'd never done before in my life. I called right back on my dime, which was very limited at that point in time. And we talked for about maybe another 10 or 15 minutes. And she died four days later. Wow. And I kept saying to her, I want to come home. I just want to come home. I don't want to be here. It's cold. I don't want to come home. She said, don't be silly. Finish your school. Do your school work. You'll be home at Christmas because this was in October. And yeah, so it's one of the things that also taught me not only to value how precious life is and how fickle, you know, how quickly it can, can just end. We never know. But to honor my intuition, mm. to honor that because there was no good reason for what I did. And of course, since then, it's proven to out so many times. 
But that was one of my first real lessons in listening to that gut feeling, even when it doesn't make sense. So yeah. this, so I actually left the day after. I was still so depressed. I, I skipped my physics exam on Friday and took a plane to West Virginia because my boyfriend was, that's where he was at school. And I went to spend the weekend with him. And so I was there with him on Sunday when we got the news, which was, oh. which initially they only said that she'd been in a car accident. He knew she was dead, but my mom had said, don't tell me that she was dead. Let me come home first. Stupid oh my idea. Gosh. So your boyfriend knew she was dead. And well, he tell eventually you. told me. He eventually told me because he because by then I was like, oh, I couldn't get a flight out of West Virginia that night. It was like small town, West Virginia. So I booked my flight out the next morning. And I, but I was found all after I was like, I'm going to go home. I'm going to stay as long as she needs while she's in the hospital and help her to rehab because I was studying physical therapy. Right. So I'm thinking, you know, <laughs> I can help her rehab. Yeah. And, and about 7 p.m. the night, he said he said he just couldn't he could not see me. do He couldn't one more minute. Let me go on believing because he saw how hopeful I was and all the things I was saying. And he said, I, I need to tell you something. Sit down. Uh, she's dead. And I was like, no, she's not. Why on earth would you say something like that? And so I called my brother who was at our apartment in Washington, D.C., where I lived. And I said, is it true? Is she dead? And uh, he said, Helen, this is not a time to be hysterical. <laughs> People react so strangely, right? By <laughs> when, you asking uh, that question, you were being hysterical. I guess the way, of course, I was, I was, of course, I, but it's a perfect time to be hysterical. Right. What are you talking about? Yeah. Is there any other per, more perfect time? Yes. Exactly. So, yeah. So that's how I found out. And I literally, I hit the floor. My knees just gave way and I hit the floor. It was, it was a, it was a tough time. It was a tough time. Yeah. It's like you were twins almost. Yes, we were. We were kind of, I guess they call them Irish twins. I don't know when you're born really close yeah, together. And that's right. Yeah. Together. yeah. 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 So, and because I'm in a grief journey myself, my mom passed away at the end of May and we were yes. super connected. So I am quite intrigued about grief and just the grief journey and the impact on our lives and how these things tend to, you know, have us go in different directions or transform or just, mm -hmm. right. I mean, I, I know we're aligned in like everything happens for a reason, you know, and mm -hmm. really looking at all mm -hmm. those things. So, I mean, it's sort of almost kind of a silly question. Obviously it did impact you in a huge way. I can answer the, I can, I can answer that part for you. I guess my question is like, what were the immediate shorter term, like within, you know, a year or two, how did that impact that young woman? And then how you think it's still impacting you today? Well, the immediate thing was I had this urgency to live. Like I didn't care anymore. So I did what I want. Like, so I, I'm pretty sure that's why I got married so young. We were, I got okay. married. We've been going out for like five years, six years. And so I got married at 21. Yeah. So it, within two years, right? Before I even finished college. And mm. I think another immediate, I, I really, it started my journey of awakening, reawakening to all the things that I had repressed. It would be a long time coming, but I think the journey began. I, I began to try to understand, make sense of life, life. Like, why are we here? You know, and of the things that don't seem to make sense. Like to me, my brain couldn't understand why something like that happens. <laughs> you know, Yeah, she had so much life to to live and and yet at, on the other hand it brought a lot of uh, like it caused us to have really honest conversations with each other in a, as a family because my parents were already separated they was got separated long before and i think it really just set me free on on another level to be do what the heck i want just because i want 
because you don't know how much time you have. So uh, there was a level of freedom that it it gave me for sure. And then at now as an adult, much later on, I think all of those things compounded. <laughs> um, now, you know, there was an ongoing journey to set myself free on many different levels and then turn around and help others to set themselves free. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. My mom had breast cancer when I was a junior in high school mm. and survived that journey, but it was so impactful to me in terms of like that life is short. You know, I, I always kind of joke that I had this like chip implanted at that time that was like, life is short, life is short, you know? And so I left corporate America when I was, when I was 28 mm -hmm. to start my entrepreneurial journey. I don't think I would have ever done that, you know? Yeah. So it is interesting how these things change our lives. Change direction. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I, I have a very low tolerance for feeling shitty <laughs> it's which so is ironic that, it's so weird that you <laughs> say that because that is like a quote i say all the time i have a very low tolerance for not feeling good is what i say oh really wow yes yeah. <laughs> yes and i've never heard anybody say anything close to it but that was yes wow we're like twins there there's multiple yeah, things yeah. You've, you've said that really feel like you know we have a similar lived experiences, you know, yeah. in some ways, yeah. or, or at least similar conclusions from our lived experience. <laughs> yes. So yes. you said you have a yes. very low yeah. tolerance for, what did you say? Feeling shitty. <laughs> feeling shitty, right? And I said not feeling good. It's so funny. And that's Which why is I, ironic because I, I suffered from depression for many, many years, but I wore many masks. I'll talk to friends from high mm. school who, you know, I remember running into an acquaintance and we got together maybe about five, six years ago. And we were talking about our high school years and we were we were acquaintances at school, but we didn't really socialize much outside of school. And she said to me, you know, when I was telling her my story, she's like, oh, my God, Helen. She's like, I would never have guessed you always were so happy and so outgoing. I said, yeah, that's why I can see people's masks like that. Because I had so many. I was an expert. <laughs> because people don't have a lot of tolerance for when we're mad or sad or depressed. Other people don't have a lot of tolerance for it. It makes them uncomfortable. Yes. Uh, so I learned very quickly to hide that. Yes. So the death of your sister, did it somehow break the spell of your depression it actually sent me you know it's interesting because i've been toying with the idea of suicide for years and it would just you know was a fleeting oh because i was depressed right yeah i mean i think depression kind of just comes with suicidal ideation in most cases exactly extent. and so it kind of pushed me over the edge and made me act on it and i tried okay. to commit suicide yeah yeah, yeah, it was it was interesting. I, the way I worded my question was like, it either breaks the spell or it yes. pushes it to the extreme, which then eventually which then breaks also the spell. Break the spell, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So you tried exactly. to commit suicide. Yeah, that yes. Makes, I mean, yes. I see the. I could see how, and I guess any mind, particularly a depressed mind, given that circumstance. Yeah. And there were things, it, it just, it, it gives you, as I say, you know, I write about this in my book, but I, I you know, one of the ways I say it is, is I, the opportunity was there because the doctor had given my mom Valium to help us get through the funeral and all that good stuff, right? So when I had an argument with my dad, I oh, God knows what that day, but, you know, didn't take much. It was the thing. And my mom was away having a break after my sister's funeral and yeah and the bottle was there the opportunity was there it doesn't take more than a moment yeah to make that decision and so gratefully that my my, my best friend was also there and realized and was it so called my brother and they rushed me to the hospital but I literally when I woke up the next morning and realized I was still alive I was so pissed off mm. I was really pissed off 
I pulled the IV out of my arm and I was, and the nurse was pissed and I'm screaming at her. She's screaming at me and I'm like, I didn't want to be here. <laughs> no, thank you for saving my life. <laughs> yeah. So. Did you yeah, take some time it, off it, from it, college? It, it, oh, uh, yeah, I did. Well, I took off. I only took off the rest of that semester. And so I went, which was probably not such a good idea because back then, this is 41 years ago now, right? So back then, and nobody thought it was a good idea to send me to a psychiatrist. I, I think now, like, what the hell, really? What were they thinking, right? But yeah. yeah, we just didn't do that. So then I go back to school and I'm living alone in an apartment because my cousin has graduated. My brother moved back home. And so, yeah, I would have weeks where I would be at, like in my apartment, didn't bathe, just smoked. I used to smoke cigarettes at the time, smoke, watch TV, skip classes, like uh, yeah, I was depressed. <laughs> so I would never try to commit suicide again because of something my mother said to me. And she said, would you take my most favorite expensive silk dress and cut it into shreds with a pair of scissors? And I didn't know where she was going with this. So I was like appalled. I was like, absolutely not, mom. I would never do that. And she said, don't you think you mean more to me than a dress? Mm -hmm. mm. that was it even for years when things were hard and I would still think about committing suicide I knew I would never attempt it again wow yeah. oh my gosh I'm just really feeling this young woman oh mm -hmm. my heart is with her so much oh my gosh I mean mm. just think like with my mom and that grief journey and like I have 51 years of sort of you know self discovery and then you know like my own journey to be able to at least kind of know what the fuck is happening with me and knowing enough that I need to take some fucking time off and like you know that I just at least being able to observe myself somewhat to know yeah. what I need and I just feel so much for that young woman in college with her family in another country and boyfriend far away and oh my goodness my goodness my yeah. goodness. Yeah. Ah. It really helped me to learn. This is where I know that everything serves because one of the things I learned to ask, and I teach my clients the same thing to ask, what's right about this that I might not be seeing? Right. Ooh, what's right and about this that I might not be seeing? That I might not be okay. seeing. Yeah. And it really forced me to rely on my soul, on my spirit. Hmm on the unseen help that we all have that's always present for us but that we don't always tap into mm. did you get more connected to your intuition and your your other gifts and and unique things about your experience did you lean on those more i certainly did it certainly did and wanted to know more about what happens after we die, you know, yes. is there, because I wanted to be, I wanted to know for sure that I would connect with my sister. What's um, your sister's name? Elizabeth. 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 <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it was. And then years later, many years later, I had a near death experience when I was in China studying and that was the real reawakening. That was the, that's oh, where girl, all you're going to have to tell us about that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and then I had a near death experience in China. And <laughs> okay. All right. I want some, yeah. some yeah. a little bit more. Give us a yeah. little bit more if you're willing <laughs> about that. Yeah, sure. Wow. Sure. I, I was, it was, I was actually tired and because my dad had died two weeks, we had buried him a week before I actually left. And I'd paid, I'd sold my car to pay for this trip. So, but I How would not have gone. Now? How old were you now? I was 30. I was divorced with two children. And so I was about 32, 33, somewhere around there. Okay. And I wanted to study what, what was it I wanted to study? They didn't have it at, I think I wanted to do the acupuncture or something, but they didn't have it available there weren't enough people for whatever it was. And so I 
just really wanted to go to China. And I just, I like to travel and I love to study. So <laughs> then they both coincide. So I ended up studying Twina, which is Chinese medical massage. Mm-hmm. And um, so it's a long haul from Jamaica to China. So I'd stopped over in Florida and spent a night or two with some friends and she smoked. And I was already, you know, tired from the whole journey of my father's illness and death. So I caught a cold. And then by the time I made it to China, like a few days later, I came down with well, like a, a cold, a cough, fever, you know, wasn't well. And we would go to the hospital, Guanaman Hospital in Beijing in the day. And we all stayed at a hotel. It was a big group, American group. It was called China, China Medical Travel or China Educational Travel. That's what it was. It was so long ago. This was back in 1992. There was an acupuncture master coming to the hotel to give us a lecture. And so we got back from the hospital lecture that day and I was coughing and I really didn't feel well. I said to my roommate, I'm going to lie down, wake me up when he comes. She woke me up later, said, okay, it's time he's here. And I was like, oh, I really don't feel good, but I don't want to miss this. So I went over and we're all there, but we're waiting for the interpreter to come. She had gone out with some of the other members of the group and we couldn't talk to him. He couldn't start his lecture till he, she came back. And we're in there. And I said, there was one, there was mostly massage therapists in the group from the US, but there was one other physical therapist. And I had said to her, you know, boy, I don't feel well. I'm just going to lie down here on the bed till she gets here. And she asked me some questions. And I didn't have enough breath to finish the sentence. And both of us were kind of like, what's happening here? Because it wasn't presenting like a typical asthma attack. And I'd never had an asthma attack before in my life. So she goes, my God, I think you're having an asthma attack. And I, so I'm lying there on the bed, really thinking, it's really going to be hard for my mom to get my body back to Jamaica from China. And But I'm glad I saw everybody at my, at my dad's funeral a few weeks ago. And because I literally feel that bad, like I am going to die. I have no breath. And suddenly the the interpreter bursts into the room and they're like, chit chat, chit chat. And I hear she was a little half Chinese American woman from from Colorado. And all I heard was her voice. She was like, she is dying over here (laughs) and everybody just went quiet and she said tell him he needs to treat her right now and he came interpreter told him he came over stuck needles in my body and in 15 minutes I was fine oh my god fine when I tell you from like dying to fine it blew my mind oh my god I went on to study acupuncture for pain relief later on. Needless to say. I'm a great great believer in acupuncture. Oh, my God. um, But that was the day of this. So she said to me after that, you know, she said, if you ever need, if you you ever have another attack while we're here, her son was with us on the trip. She said, I have some prednisone. So just hit me up if you need any. A couple of days later, we we were at the hospital, came home on the bus, and I could feel myself wheezy and... So I went over to her. She was talking to three other women in the hotel lobby. And I said, I need the prednisone. And I could barely talk. And they were all there watching what he did. So immediately, they just all immediately started giving me acupressure to the points they had seen him put the needles in. And we moved like a unit into the elevator, up, down the hall to her room, got into her room. And I sat down and took the prednisone. And I before I couldn't have taken effect yet. I literally was like, I am so tired. I need to lie down. And they were like, no problem. They moved me over to the bed. They're still touching my body. And I remember lying there thinking, I wonder if these ladies, because I don't really know them. We've just been together a few days. <laughs> you know, I said, I wonder if they know Reiki, because I could feel the energy pouring from their hands into my body. And all of a sudden, I was above them, looking down at them around my body. And one of the women, she she always had her, she was stimulating a point right over my heart in the center of my chest. And she said to me, Helen, where are you? And I said, I'm above you. Just very matter of fact, it was so weird. And she said, don't go too far. Hmm. And later on, I would ask them, how did you know I had left my body? And all of them said, your body went ice cold. 
Mm-hmm. And she, I don't, she, I guess intuitively, I don't even know how she knew to tell me, don't go too far, whatever. But I went through this whole experience, went through a tunnel, ended up hovering over a city that I thought was Manhattan, but it turned out to be Shanghai because we went there the following week. And when we drove in, I was like, oh, it was here. And I re-experienced so many past lives I'd had in China. And it's funny because my best friend in Jamaica is Chinese Jamaican. I've always loved Chinese everything. Chinese food is my favorite food. I love all things Chinese. And she loves all things, you know, Jamaican and African. And (laughs) so we always tease each other. We're born in the wrong bodies. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, that's when you've got some of your questions. To come back around to when you first dropped yeah. the, the yeah. Uh, yeah. that was mine, your death experience. That's when you got <laughs> some of your, your yeah. big questions answered about what happens when you die. And that, that it's not just that we have many lifetimes that we live. Yes. That, and of course, this was in the middle of what I call my born again Christian experience but phase of my life. So I was big into church at the time and I was like, what the heck? Because there's no real explanation for that there. <laughs> so yeah. it took me on my own journey. I had to ask. I had to go on my own journey of what was this? What does this mean? And what I it was it all serves. It all serves that there was a whole purpose for that that experience. But it was part of what was when I came out of that experience. I physically looked different number one but number two all of my gifts were back like I could look at you and know what you were feeling I could it was horrible by the way it was like that for three weeks I felt like I was on this planet and everybody else was on another planet and I asked God to take it away I said take it away I can't and as I healed myself over the next maybe 10 years or so they came back gradually. And as I could learn how to, right. how to live with them, yes. how to be with them. Ah, oh, thank you for sharing that story. I read mm-hmm. Brian Weiss's many lives, many masters. Mm-hmm. Gosh, I yeah. could picture we were at which house we were in. So yeah, like 1998. I don't know how many years ago that is. And it just made such a huge impression on me. It's like one of those books where you just know it's like been handpicked for you. And it just, to me was like, of course, how can a young child fear water when they've never had any negative experience or just how, how can you just, I mean, it just explains so much. So I definitely believe in it. And having this conversation with you is actually, I feel like I need to do some past life regression stuff. Yeah. I, yeah, I feel like, yeah. Yeah. So I want to cover a couple things here in sort of like the last, you know, this last segment, I -hmm. I feel like I'm supposed to ask you about when your depression really lifted, because I just feel Mm -hmm. like there's a Mm -hmm. pivotal thing in your journey with that. And then I also Mm want to hear like how all this led you to your current work that you're doing now, because, you know, mm-hmm. you were acupuncture, you were massage, you, you know, you were more in the body work sort of, you know, healing mm-hmm. space. And so I just mm-hmm. love hearing my guests stories about kind of what had them really pop into the, you know, the latest expression of their work. So, but first, mm-hmm. if you could share with us the depression that experience part. right there, that awakening. Yeah. That's where the serious depression ended. Interesting. And thank you for asking the question and letting me think about it because I didn't really think about it till just now. Oh, okay. I love yeah. that. I knew it was pivotal. I knew it was pivotal. But I, absolutely. Now, I think it's quite normal. Let me just say this for people to get down, right? Like, but I'm talking about like suicidal ideation in the bed kind of depression, clinical depression. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously we're highly functional though. So that's the, you're obviously highly functional. A lot of us so much pushing, so much pushing energy, so much. I burned out so many times. Yeah. Yeah. I burned out. I burned out. 
time and time again because you keep pushing through and life just felt really hard which yeah. is why I have an easy button from Staples on my desk and I love to use it. <laughs> <laughs> I gave them as gifts. So, but yeah, so that was really, that was the, that was the watershed was moment it. with that. They um, did continue. I will, and you know, I won't tell you that I don't have days when I'm down. And my mom passed away, as you know, earlier this year in April, at the end of April. And so I took, you know, my one month off turned into four because I went deep and gave myself the space and time to grieve and to feel my pain and to feel the sadness and move through it because really the only way out is through and get the help and support because we don't have to get stuck in it. It's when we get stuck in it that it seems to go on forever. But as far as how I came to from the body work, I tell people I came to the mind through the body. Mm. It's how everything in my life has unfolded. I live my life in service to my soul. I follow my gut. I follow my instincts. And I was actually working in physical therapy here. And my work in Jamaica had evolved. My business had evolved into a complimentary wellness center. I was, I'm curious. And I always want to understand the root of what an issue is. And, and so I kept learning and studying and Places like the Uplicha Institute, Somato Emotional Release Work, Craniosacral, they just opened my mind to the energy work and the whole other, the mind body. And I was actually had just moved to Maryland in 2008 and was, every summer I would go on a walkabout with my son, my youngest son, when he was up to middle school and in elementary school. And we were on a walkabout in Jamaica. We just went for six weeks. And and I got an email from a woman who owned a wellness center in Maryland saying that she was looking for a life coach for her wellness center. And someone had recommended me. And hmm. I went, why? <laughs> <laughs> and I looked up and I went, okay, God, is that what I'm going to be doing next? <laughs> So when I came back, I, I met with her and I said, look, I'm not a life coach, but I have all of these others. She was like, oh, my God, you're a physical therapist, you're a massage therapist, you're this, you're that. Yeah, I want you. I said, but I am interested in life coaching, but I don't hang my shingle and say I do something unless I'm certified in it. So I'll go ahead and get certified. And in the meantime, I'll do this stuff. And so I did. And it opened a whole new universe to me that I did not know existed called coaching. And it's been a wonderful I, opportunity to use all of my tools, all yes. of my healing tools, all of my energy medicine tools, all of my life experience, everything to work with my client, the whole client, which I always did, which I always was coaching. I was like, mm, I've been coaching my whole life. That's why I was such a good physical therapist. <laughs> I was always working with their yes. mind and their body. <laughs> yes. Yes. So. And I could totally see why you liked GFR commandment number four, trust your sur struggle serves your mission. Oh, yeah. It really came full circle with this. Wow. I mean, so much of yeah. what you had experienced and so many of your gifts yeah. all in like one opportunity. Yes. Yes. And I love all 12 of the commandments. <laughs> <laughs> I know, it's As hard I was to pick telling one. you earlier, it's really hard to pick one. <laughs> yeah, and I love everyone. She said that she picked the one that would have helped her younger self. So I, I yes. definitely appreciate that. Yes, for sure. If I could have understood that my struggle was serving my mission back then, maybe it would have made it a little easier and maybe not because truth is, you know, there are certain things you just don't can't get till you get it. <laughs> it's true. It's true. It's true. I always, I kind of almost feel like I have sort of like a parallel experience or belief system of like that. If I knew then what I know now, I wouldn't have maybe experienced those things, but those things exactly. are who I am now, you know, and, and exactly. so, so, so valuable. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I would yeah. not be, you know, people say, well, what would you, you know, if you had to do it again, what would you do differently? And I go nothing. Cause then I wouldn't be who I am now. And I love who I am now. I appreciate and value every one of my experiences. And as I tell my clients, that's when you know you've truly healed something when you feel nothing but gratitude for it. 
Yes. And you said something profound earlier around you're quick to now stop what isn't working. To me, that's everything, right? It kind of goes along with our, we have a low tolerance for me not feeling good for you feeling shitty. You know, it's like, it kind of goes with that. It's, it's, yeah, it's all connected with that. Yes. And, and to me, you know, whereas before I'd wear the mask and I'd pretend to be happier than I was now when I'm joyful, it's, it's totally authentic and I'm not afraid to not be joyful. Mm. That's totally authentic. Give myself permission to feel and be the range. I don't, I used to make myself happy, happy, happy to make other people comfortable. And now it's like, I don't need to make you uncomfortable, but I don't actually need to take responsibility for how you feel at all. <laughs> yes. Amen. Amen. Yes. Yes. So, okay. Yeah. So I feel like I want to ask you for like a final thought. What's coming to be shared is that for me, getting fucking real, being authentic, coming home to yourself, and unapologetically expressing that, being that in the world, is you being the gift you came to give the world. It's the only way you give the gift you came to give. You are the gift you came to give the world. And so we got to strip away, unlearn, and relearn. One of my favorite quotes is from a book called Future Shock. It says, the illiterate of the 21st century will not be those who cannot read or write. It will be those who refuse to unlearn and relearn. Oh, I love that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Ah, oh, my gosh. I have treasured this time with you, Helen. Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much for being willing to go wherever our journey today was taking us. <laughs> I so appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you. It's been a joy to be here. <laughs> bye bye for now. I mean, was that just like, that <laughs> was so fun. I love how she just sort of like threw offhandedly about her Neil death experience. I'm like, oh no, we got to go there. So she has some cool gifts for our community. And the first one is one week membership into her journey to self-love program. And it sounds really jam-packed with what you get in your, in your one week. And that is you get a workbook and you get a tapping meditation that supports your mental, emotional, energetic shifts and a video. And she's just so delightful. I would just love for you to have her in your life for at least a week. And we're also going to put a link in the show notes to her book, the gift of pain for which she said she just recorded the audio. So I can't wait for that as well. And you heard her favorite GFR commandments. Number four, if you haven't gotten your commandments, go to gfr.life forward slash 12 C and join us in the GFR squad. And <laughs> I know I'm asking a lot of you, but Hey, if you had fun here, I want to make sure the fun keeps coming and also subscribe to the show, wherever you're listening to the show. If you're listening on my website, jump over to your favorite podcast listening app and look up the show GFR or the get F star, 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 ING real show. So you don't miss any of these amazing, inspiring, motivating interviews. All right. See you next time.